Hello and welcome back to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Director of Fast Scaling Irish Business Each and Other, Brian Heron, talks about why user experience principles are becoming fundamental to the business world and how his business, Each and Other, is expanding into Germany. Brian, to begin with, tell us about Each and Other and the, the, the growth of the business. Because the last time I, uh, I, I, was, I was looking at you guys, you were, you were hiring about 10 new people and you, were, you, were, you you'd won new business in Germany. So t- tell us about the story, mm-hmm. the backstory to Each and Other. So let me set the scene then on, on, on the company and what it is and what it does. So uh, we're specialists in UX design and research, and we can talk a little bit about what that means in a moment. Um, we have a team of around about uh, 25. And when we add in sort of international local partners, we are closer to 30, depending on the kind of work that we have on on board at any given time. So the company has been in existence for around about eight years. I'm not 100% sure of the count. Uh, years don't mean so much uh, anymore when you're in the grind. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it was formed from, uh, by a team that were involved in a previous company, uh, called IQ Content. So, uh, as a, as a sort of an ongoing effort of a, as a team, we've been working together for sort of 15 plus, plus years working in this, in this zone. Um, so we're headquartered in Dublin, Ireland, uh, working across EU, UK, North America, South America, Asia Pacific. It's real global, um, coverage and, we do sort of three things and the three things we do are uh customer research so ux research really understanding why people use products and what products should be we do actual design so creating digital products and bringing bringing them to market and then we um uh, help companies build their capability in-house as well so that's sort of the the, the business and what it does and it's we've managed to be on a pretty decent wave because it's uh, as an industry you know, in the old days, we used to have to sell it and explain it and and uh, talk to people and cajole them into uh, convince them it's a good idea. Uh, whereas now we have uh, a very mature industry, um, college courses that are are training people to be UX designers, uh, huge amounts of interest uh, in companies of all shapes and sizes who are trying to uh, bring some of this in house and uh, and also avail of sort of skills or agencies like ours to deliver products to market. So we're in a moment where. Um, you know, there's been a, a huge interest uh, in digital and non-digital businesses to try and bring some of these. So there's uh, ambulance outside. I'll, I'll rephrase that bit uh, if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're at a moment where there's a huge amount of interest from organizations, particularly those in the digital field and startup zones, as well as legacy businesses who are uh, trying to release product and make better products for customers. So we've been able to avail of that industry-wide uh, trajectory. Um, now, in terms of our business scaling, uh, it, we've been we're a small business, right? So we're 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 a small team and we're independent as well. So you know we're bootstrapping ourselves slowly, and I don't think that we have. So, so you 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 guys are pretty much a startup as well. Then is this, that the way you look at yourselves? Well, no, I would say that, uh, I mean, I think that we've relearned how to run the business in many respects, right? So we've we've spent the last sort of five years or so uh, organizing ourselves so that we can better track and avail what the market wants from us. So there's been two sort of areas that we've uh, been looking at. Um, the first is in terms of how we position ourselves in market um, and how we actually go and talk to customers and how we... Um, uh, where we view ourselves on a value scale for them. And the second thing is understanding what size and shape 
uh, an organization has to be and what kind of business model uh, that we we need to be able to make sure that, first of all, we survive as a business and second of all, that we, we thrive and are able to grow. Um, and both those things sort of end up in the same, pointing in the same direction. So that's all about understanding that our job is to be UX specialists. It's not to think about the conversion problems necessarily that businesses have, to think about the transformation things that they're going through. Instead, our job is to be the, the specialists who really know our area and to be the go-to uh, business when companies are having or struggling with problems in their technology, in their uh, processes, uh, and have deep sort of CX and UX problems that they need to solve. We want to be the go-to business for that. And that means we need to think internationally, right? That means we need to think uh, of a certain profile of person who comes into our business to work with us. Uh, and so both those things have moved together to sort of come to the conclusion that we need to be an international business, that we need to be uh, taking on board clients with global profiles, uh, that we need to be working with clients that understand the value that we can we can bring, which all sort of leads to the same, the same conclusion around the size and shape and um, our business that we need to to construct to 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 take advantage of what we can do. Like I see, I see from your your somebody on your website there. You know your your tag, tagline is the competitive by design, and and you've got some interesting clients: Google, Zurich, Stripe. I mean, these these are businesses at the top of their game, and you kind of go, would they would they not already know all this? And, and at the same time, the, the interesting thing is we're all we're all in kind of a flux because. Um, you know, on one hand, every business tries to stick to its knitting. So an insurance business or a bank will try and do what it does, uh, you know. But at the same time, we're in a world now where, you know, the touch points for every business are everywhere, whether it's on, on your phone, on your TV, on your computer, you know. Um, you know, it, it's design is everywhere, but not everybody thinks in a design way. So to get to my understanding of what user experience is all about, and I, I sometimes use the terms customer experience as well, which is the same thing if you're if you're if you're customer oriented. But if we're putting design into everything, which you know, you would have thought originally everything would have had a design to begin with, a functional design. But you want everything to not only work well, you want it to look attractive, but you want to kind of make sure that it's functional ultimately. Yes. So I mean to. to so first of all, everything is designed, right? Even going back to the wheel, right? <laughs> so yeah, a... <laughs> well, that's the point. You know, we've been improving the wheel for a long, old time, right? And let's take that example, right? So the idea of of something that's a simple, you know, circular shape to run a cart, you did you started that because that's what, you, what was the only thing that you could think of, right? But as we go on, we have wheels that do all sorts of different things that, you know, can go on planes or be on, you know, tractors or whatever. You know, we've designed different types of wheels to suit different types of purposes, and when we think of software, the big innovation or the big thing that UX does or brings is uh, prioritizes the customer or the user of that software and their experience rather than in the past might have been prioritizing what the developer found most advantageous uh, or most um, um easy to execute but even even phones phones are phones are the perfect example of this like when you think about it like my favorite phone ever if anyone's ever into my geek geek stuff is i always loved the motorola razor i don't know if you remember this device it was a little clamshell device it was beautiful looking but 
behind it was the mayor of an operating system that was terrible and of course then Steve Jobs comes along in 2007 shows off the iPhone changed phones forever I'd say, I nearly argue nearly every phone looks the same to me now I know they're not but they all look the same because they all have the same visual identity that he he he, he uh, pioneered I suppose in 2007 um, but it shows you if that's not a case study for design thinking I don't know what is because phones were this like just to send a text message before 2007 you're doing about eight or nine different commands because that's what the engineer designed it as because that was logical to them uh then you throw in a kind of a more visual experience where everything you see and touch is is, is like speech bubbles or, or you're throwing in photographs and you know it's all it's all changed and, and i suppose would that be a fair assumption that that's kind of where the leap leap we're making and businesses have to leap have to take yeah so it's a mode of thinking about how that goes beyond the sort of a surface level, right? So if we want to pull apart our terminology, right, and we can use the phone then as a bit of an example or a part of the phone as, as a as a as a way to understand this, we can think of the world that I live in, right? <laughs> it consists of sort of three areas. We might have like CX, so customer experience, um, which is the totality and the feeling of using something or 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 uh, or doing business with a with a with an organization or how how a, how a, how an organization's brand makes you feel. Yes, exactly. Yes, so the brand experience and the and the product experience are are, are coming together. The the sense of loyalty or excitement you feel about using something, and then you have like the user interface. So that's like what you're tapping, what you're jabbing at with your finger, what you're clicking at with your mouse. So that's everything you actually see or interact with. Um, and then in the middle we have UX, right? So UX is a way of taking the experience you want to create, the customer experience you want to create, and a way of, of figuring out what the user interface should be. So UX isn't a thing. It's more better thought of, of, of like a process and a way of getting stuff done and a way of getting stuff done to a certain de- uh, degree of quality and prioritizing certain things. So if you think about that phone, they were obsessed about the keyboard. Because the competitor that they were looking at was not really like the Motorola Razors. They knew that they could blow, blow them out of the water. What they were worried about was things like BlackBerry. The idea that people wouldn't give up their BlackBerry because what did BlackBerry have? It had a great keyboard. And people used to use it all the time to for work processes and uh, email and texting and typing. And it was like the quintessential performance phone at the time. So iPhone, when it was being developed, they obsessed about the keyboard because they knew that if they didn't crack that customer experience, uh, get the user interface right, that it was never going to work. So they followed what would have been, you know, more evolved now, but a, a UX process of multiple different prototypes and typing. In fact, there's there's uh, a book um, that, that lines the history of the iPhone and early prototypes were using the click wheel uh, as a potential interface to be able to, so you would use the, the click wheel of the uh, iPod. Uh, to circle around almost like a rotary phone to to type in to so to have a, a keyboard in a circular pattern that you that you'd be able to to look at um so that obviously evolves now was the new iphone keyboard better than a blackberry keyboard a software keyboard better than a blackberry keyboard maybe not perfect but it was good enough to be able to and the other advantage of the phone meant that BlackBerry, within a couple of years, was a dead business. That's right. I remember. I remember they tried to re 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 uh, reinvigorate themselves with this thing called the BlackBerry Storm, and had a kind of a haptic haptic keyboard underneath the keyboard, which kind of created this really strange feeling, and it it, it didn't it didn't work. Yeah, and and they also uh, introduced a touchscreen phone that didn't have um, 
uh, like a home button at the time. It was a purely gesture interface and it failed uh, completely. It came out five years or so before the uh, the iPhone X removed the home button. So like, you know, we have these companies that, that focus in and attempt to uh, do something different or do something new or they spot where they think the industry is going. But because that execution and homework hasn't been done correctly, they haven't followed a UX process to the same uh, extent as others. That lesson, that applies to all digital products uh, that applies to every what we call touch point. So any moment that your customer is interacting with your business and indeed it kind of applies to higher level things like the actual financial products themselves, for instance, in a, in a financial zone or, or uh, services that you're providing. But that's a good question, though, there, when you think about it, like do best do businesses necessarily like they all admire Apple and they all admire these companies that have kind of grown in the last few years. But do businesses themselves necessarily get that user experience uh, ethos? Like, like, for example, I keep saying Apple, but let's just say Apple does this very well. So from their websites to their apps to their devices, it's a common experience of visual identity and everything runs quite smoothly um when you talk about a bank or a building society or a you know a supermarket chain you know um they admire companies that i mentioned but at the same time you know they're they did i think ux and cx have different levels of understanding depending on the business does the general business world yet necessarily get these terms yet or t- i mean as well you could say also that these these disciplines to one extent or another, didn't formally exist a few years ago either, as a career even. So let's take the second point first. So the the, the dirty secret of, of UX is that uh, these things have been known for decades, right? Be- why? Because uh, a lot of the process that we use now to deliver software are actually robbed from industrial design, right? This is how if you were building something at scale that needed to go to a factory, you would do exactly what, what we do in software, which is to figure out what you need to build, prototype it out, test to make sure that it works, and then go and actually uh, execute it. So car manufacturers do it, plane manufacturers do it. Um, this has been going on for a long time. It's been taught in colleges uh, for, uh, for a long time. Um, what, what our innovation is here is to take a lot of those processes and apply them to uh, a digital sphere. So, you know, that in itself is a really big deal because it's an enormous industrial change. Um, the second point is, are business leaders getting this? Yes, um, but it's William Gibson, uh, the the sci-fi writer, has a, has a great quote to say that the future is already here; it's just not evenly distributed, and that's the world that we're in at the moment. Um, we see that some of the most exciting startups in all sorts of areas, in in fintech and agritech, are built by people who come from an industry who have special skills, but they can't make the change within organizations. So they set up their own thing. And what happens then? We see these disruptive uh, organizations um, uh, or disruptive startups uh, being able to make uh, huge grants very quickly. Um, Perhaps they have some sort of ceiling because ultimately you push up against embedded uh, legacy organizations that have, um, you know, duopolies or triopolies and and are well-entrenched in society. So there may be ceilings about what they can achieve. Nevertheless, they are showing the way to go because they're not constrained by organizational factors that may hold them back. I often think of things like Spotify and say, the I don't know if you remember the Pirate Bay before Spotify in, in, in places, but Spotify... I think in their early days had a tough time trying to convince the music industry that they're trying to create a business model that they could actually thrive from. And, you know, it's that sometimes sometimes you have to rub against 
you know, conventional thinking or, you know, people who don't want change, but at the same time, they know they're in trouble. And if they don't change, they'll die. And that's, that's, I think, every business. So the only constant in business is change, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you look, you we also remember the successes, right? Because there's a whole bunch of other stuff that, uh, that until Spotify actually succeeded, uh, you know, that, that, kind of still exist in brand line, like Pandora still exists. And th- there was a number of other potential competitors that had tried to crack this, that particular problem. In the end, it was it was down to industry deals. They were at the right point with the right connections at the right time um, with the sweet enough business model for the record companies to take a bit of a punt on it. Um, at, what we see now, though, is like the number of copies, uh, copiers, right, the, the, that have now uh, moved into the market, you know, YouTube has one or uh, Apple obviously has one. Amazon has one, right? So like the, that market itself now, um, uh, you know, stores caught up. And now we see each of these platforms desperately trying to find ways to find from a business perspective, ways to make themselves distinctive or unique. Uh, Spotify, for instance, uh, you know, uh, moving in and buying several podcasting houses, you know, to, to provide that level of content. It's about to move into audiobooks, from what I understand as well. So it's trying to, shore up and be an audio solution to to i get to get that ear time uh you know uh locked down so you know what we see these companies that have innovated in the technological sense and innovated in a business model sense but how long does that last when the rest of the market starts to catch up netflix has had its own struggles as well these are poster boys poster people <laughs> uh who've done extremely well over the last while but unless they're able to produce more expand their services out ultimately they're they're copyable um, uh, that doesn't apply to obviously every industry and every startup. There are some ones that are able to push through and develop absolutely extraordinary diverse businesses uh, and explore their own niche and need over time. But I wonder, will we be talking about the same businesses in the next 10 years that we have over the last 10 years? What are they going to be able to achieve over the next? Have they, have they exhausted their innovation or is there more to come from these organizations? Well, I, I think the word is time. And you said there, you said time. And when I think about time, I think that, that the only thing we know about time is it's perpetually moving forward. So businesses should be like that. So they have to be, as soon as they get that lovely looking site or that lovely looking product, they need to be almost nearly thinking what's next after that, you know? And, and that's what I, I have a home dinger of a question for you. It just came into my mind and I won't throw it at you. User experience and CX are, as I said, terms that just kind of seem to have evolved into business parlance in the last decade, even though, as you say, they've been around forever. But should they, could, should user experience, like, you know, the way we talk about coding being taught in school, should user experience be taught at, at school or an academic level or more, or more, I suppose, more intrinsically, I suppose, or deeper, deeper in society? No, I'm not sure, like, that we have that as, like, an essential skill, right? I think that there are important things as a society we should be uh, teaching about potentially financial literacy, civics. I think Drive, the, Driving, the, 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 plumbing. The, the, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Electricity. Need to drive in the future. I don't think my kids are going to need to to drive by the time they're old enough. Uh, so, uh, you know, but, but there are, there certainly are things about this process um that and how we think about designing things how we think about things should work um that probably are good lessons overall i mean ux by its nature is a collaborative involving process where there's listening techniques involved in that the 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 sort of the the cliche of the post-it workshop which is you know overused and uh, and a, a little bit derided at this point but there are methodologies there that allow us to for instance 
have a group conversation in a structured way that makes sense. Now, is that a, a life skill? I'm not really so sure. So I don't think I would be saying, my God, every kid needs to, to learn this. Um, on the other hand, I think that there is a huge place for general design understanding and and, and literacy uh, in the same way that we should be able to interrogate how media manipulates ourselves. We should be able to interrogate how um, design can affect what we're doing, particularly when it comes down to um, uh, how social media has been constructed and formulated in a way that, where the user experience is used to, to keep us dragged in from um, a usage perspective. But no, I don't, I, while I have those sort of broader societal concerns um, and I, I see value in people understanding what design and where it comes from and how it works uh, and getting kids excited about the possibility of, of working in a career that has a design element to it. Um, I don't see it as a, a, you know, I wouldn't be swapping it out for maths, for instance, uh, or swapping it in for maths. Um, the, you know, I think there are some amazing initiatives happening, by the way, in Ireland as well. Um, there's an organization called The Big Idea, uh, which is a fantastic initiative uh, for transition students where they're able to uh, you know, come up with their own products and work with designers and mentors who are active in the industry in Ireland um, to come up with new things that could see the light of day to solve problems. And they could pick things like focusing on something for um, uh, uh, the elderly, for instance, and how that might work. And they're challenged then to, uh, to construct uh, something new and come up with ideas that they can prototype and test in markets. So, you know, I think those things are hugely supportive and do an awful lot for bringing people forward and bringing the industry forward. And I suppose also when you think about it in this day, we're in the data age, right? So, you know, if you think about it, like what the designers work with in the past, it could have been someone designing, using wood to design a wheel, or it could be somebody trying to, um, you know, design, lay, lay out a magazine uh, to, you know, today, I think data is the material uh, that, that a lot of people will work with. Um, is, is that is that accelerating the demand for UX and CX skills? Uh, so, day, well, yes and no. I mean, I think what it really comes down to is why is there demand for UX increasing? Why? It's because it works, right? And it works better and is proven to work better than processes that businesses had in place before, right? That that's It's not a case of that we have new opportunities to, to design stuff. Okay, we've more mature digital businesses and more digital businesses. So yeah, there's a more need for people to design those things. But actually, it's more just about that this process, if run correctly, it has business business benefit, right? This is about delivering competitive advantage to business. And businesses, if they see competitive advantage uh, or are concerned that other people have competitive advantage, will start to gravitate towards it. And you know, there's, there's a few elements of where it can deliver, right? And this is about one you know, shipping better products, right? Just making better things uh, and getting them out the door in a way that's scalable so that if you have one good product that gets out the door, you're able to sort of replicate how that worked and what was meaningful about it. Um, the second business benefit is that it's able to reduce risk, right? So that if you've designed it, if you've tested it before you've built it, there's a better chance, one, that it's going to land, that people are going to like it and you're not going to have to rework it. Or two, you're not going to have to go through really expensive development uh, changes. You know, the third the third thing then is that you're going to see increase in customer satisfaction overall, which is a, all of those things all together, you start to see results. So higher revenue, um, better customer satisfaction scores, longer term loyalty, reduced churn. These are the things that, that UX can promise. And when delivered in a way... Um, and, and following the sort of the key tenets of what, what UX is supposed to be, uh, it's it's absolutely able to achieve these things, right? Or at least be part of a the solution of being able to deliver these programs as long as well as um, you know uh, you know good development practices and 
good business model and everything else. So like when you when you say like is it data that's allowing this? No, data allows us to make better choices and decisions. And in fact, UX can generate some data as part of our research uh, uh, phases or our discovery phases. But actually, the reason why it's adopted is because there's a wider and more um, mature digital market that's pushing out more stuff. And second of all, this is a process that actually shows results. Very good. And tell, tell us about your own, uh, each other's scaling plans, because uh, you mentioned scalable there. And I'm think, I was thinking, yeah, you, these guys are in scale mode. Like, I mean, you're looking at the UK, you're looking at Germany. Uh, you've got international clients, big brand names as customers, great calling cards. Uh, what what are what are your plans now for the next couple of years? I mean, uh, do 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 you see yourselves uh, expanding internationally, like putting boots on the ground in other countries, for example? Um, well, yeah, I mean, we we already have in, in a way. So you know, we have a number of people. Uh, uh, you know, probably seven, eight of our team of twenty five are located outside of Ireland. There are um, you know, people in South Africa, UK. Um, we have associates working for us in Germany. Um, yeah, so like, you know, we have a spread um, already. I think that we have a particular, so as a, as a business, right, um, you know, we're facing some fairly macro, uh, macroly uncertain times, I think, over the next, next while. We don't know what's coming up. So we have, our philosophy is to, and this I think has been, discovered through experience is that our best bet is to focus in on the work and focus in on the clients. Right. So I think that if we put a flag on a hill and saying, Hey, we're, we're scaling. I don't think that works necessarily for us as culturally as an organization. I think it works for us. If we say international clients, uh, we're after high profile work, we're after really tough problems to solve. Uh, we want to, to, to stake out our claim of being able to help companies to really understand their customers. And that tends to lead lead to things like you know more people, so we've hired yeah about ten people over the last sort of eighteen months. Um, I don't see that slowing down necessarily. I think some of those hires will be split between Ireland and um, and uh, international. I think that we'll continue to grow through some local partners when we need language skills. So we we work in Japan and China, Australia, New Zealand. Which okay, they're not language issues there, but there are time zone issues. Um, so you know we we have local partners that we work with with there as well. So as a scaling plan, our plan is about the clients, about the people that we're working with, and then to to drive that forward. And then we'll react. Then I think based on um. Uh, the the sort of opportunities that are coming up. Germany remains a focus for us. Um, I will be launching our full German site in the next uh, few weeks. Very excited about that, uh, and continuing to push in in that market. Um, very much with a, a research offering, research foot first to work with primarily large international companies that are operating in Germany and serving EU. So uh, that that's sort of the plan there. Um, and then, you know, like we've seen our international business increase sort of 40% year on year for the last couple of years. Again, we'll be looking to see if we can push that number a little bit higher. Um, but we don't have, a, you know, double the size of the company plan, uh, double the size of the revenue plan. Instead, it's focusing on the work, focusing on the clients, uh, focusing on the, the the type of work that we're um, getting access to and being able to achieve and we feel like the business sort of will take care of itself then if we get that right. Brilliant. With that, Brian, thank you so much for your time. That was great. Uh, each and other, great company to watch, great, interesting client base and a very, you know, international dimension to you guys. So very interesting to see what happens in, in the months and years ahead. Thanks very much for your time. Cheers, John. Thanks. 
For our next podcast, stay tuned for our chat with KJ McGowan, a young Irish entrepreneur in Toronto who plans to do for OKRs what Salesforce did for CRM.